0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: What's up, Hustlers? This is Andrew Morgans, your host for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship, startups i um, really excited about today's guest. I I have been a guest on his podcast. He's now coming to be a guest on mine. Um, he has plenty to share with you. But before we get into that and I make an introduction, let's give a start out to our sponsor for today's episode, FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, Trent is not only an agency owner in the Amazon space, but also a software founder. Uh, and without further ado, Trent, welcome to the show.
0: Andrew, my man, thank you so much for having me here. It is a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I'm super glad to have this conversation. I uh, went the other way last time, getting to know me, getting to know Marknology a little bit, getting to know about some of our similarities and things like that. But I love getting to introduce anyone that's just listening and maybe doesn't have background. Um, on who I'm talking to and, um, you know, where did you start falling in love with entrepreneurship or maybe you hate it, you know, maybe that's the truth, but, um, I don't think you do. Uh, we were talking I could see your excitement in the, before we got started about some of the things you're working on. And, and, you know, before we get to those, let's just talk about kind of some of the origins. Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? Where did you first like have your entrepreneur, your first entrepreneurship idea?
0: So, I wouldn't say that I really came from an entrepreneur family. My uh my dad spent most of his life as a um realtor who I would say was moderately successful at best. Um I think that my desire to become an entrepreneur is really the byproduct of my number one value and that's freedom. Ever since I was a kid, I remember thinking and saying over and over you know, I just don't want to have a real job. I really just don't want to, because to me, it just seemed boring to go work for a company and have them tell you what to do and when you could take a vacation and how much money you were going to make. And it all just seemed like, like painfully, painfully, painfully boring. I did start my career working for others, but it was always in a sales capacity where typically I was on commission.
1: You kind so of ran your own shit, yeah. Yeah,
0: you know, you're not an entrepreneur, but it's a hybrid. It's a great way to start because as an entrepreneur, as a company founder, you better know how to sell stuff. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you can't sell anything, then, well, good luck to you. And so being a sales guy allowed me to learn how to do that um on other people's time. So to speak, because especially when you're new, you know, you probably are going to get some kind of small base salary or a draw or some way to cut some money coming in while you're trying to figure out how to, you know, be a, a rainmaker and bring it in on your
1: own. No, I agree. And uh, I wasn't in traditional sales, but um, I sold the gospel as a kid, a missionary kid, right? Uh, participated in that. And I think if you can. You're at least watching parents and and um, family members sell the gospel. I think it's one of the hardest things to sell, probably. Um, it's the opposite of freedom for a lot of people, or at least that's how they see it. Uh, but also, you know, as a bartender for a long time, you know, just got used to talking to people and having conversations and you have nothing in common with someone. How can you make them comfortable at the bar? Um, you know, stuff like that. And that relationship piece of sales. Um, I think is so, so, so important. People can have amazing ideas or amazing products and just be too insecure or not, not trained enough or unwilling to put themselves out there. Um, You know, and that's ultimately what sales is, is rejection, getting comfortable with rejection in some, at some level. Um, Okay. So most of us don't, I mean, at least me, I didn't really have outside of missionary parents, which I didn't relate to business at the time, but um, outside of missionary parents there weren't you know I grew up in a church a pretty conservative church community um, there weren't a lot of business owners there weren't a lot of founders there weren't a lot of examples outside of real estate and I think like um, what's the word I'm looking for like the trades like some of the mm-hmm. trades um, those business models I saw but I didn't see anything that looked like fun I didn't see anything that looked exciting i wouldn't say i ever thought i was going to be a business owner but you knew right away like my motivation is freedom as well i grew up with like i'm like Mowgli, i'm like tarzan in regards to just having that type of freedom not having to go to school i was homeschooled that kind of stuff coming back felt like a prison to me but i had that vision right and then this i guess what i'm trying to get to is um did you have someone in your life that was like kind of showing you how to be an entrepreneur how to have that freedom and you wanted that for yourself
0: um,
1: you want Dad really. had, maybe at a different level
0: i would say the person i had in my life back then was tony robbins okay i remember it, how it happened was this i my original vision for my life was i wanted to be a fighter pilot because i like things that go fast and so uh, while i was in the process of applying for the canadian military uh, which I did eventually get in as a pilot in training, but budget cutbacks unfortunately uh, ended that career early. I was like, "Well, what should I do?" And I'd I'd had like hourly jobs, you know, because I was a young kid, I was like eighteen or nineteen, and somebody that I knew, a, a friend of mine, um, worked selling photocopiers for you know office equipment, and so he introduced me to the manager of the branch who was uh, also a fairly young guy who, who was making, you know, a lot of money doing this. And I like, I grew up very poor. Uh, my family at one point we were on welfare and the whole thing. So okay. um, I really wanted to not be poor I can relate because I'd that. seen my parents fight over a lack of money. And I just associated in my head that poverty equals violence and I don't like violence. So I thought, well, I don't want to be poor. And so My very first real sales job was, um, and I was, I was mentored by this guy by the name of Peter Rozyski. Shout out to Peter if he's listening. Um, and I learned a lot from him because I was horribly shy as well. Like I was not a natural born sales guy at all. I was pretty insecure as a kid. I was deathly afraid of talking to strangers and so for me it was a it was a huge stretch to go and do that. Um but it was also, you know, in hindsight now a a life-changing first real job because what I learned and what I earned in that massively expanded my belief systems of what was possible for me to achieve in my life. Mm. And at that age, I would say the expansion of my belief system was even more valuable than the expansion of my bank account. Because to be honest with you, I was young. I spent most of it, whatever I made on, you know, cars and clothes and girls and all the stuff that, you know, a young guy who's never had any money, what's the first stuff you go and do? You go and buy stuff to impress
1: girls because, you know, you're That's a young what guy. drives the world. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. That's actually what I was trying to get to. That's what I was trying to get to, Train I you know, there's something I think that impacts us at a young age or somewhere in there. I never I never self-actualized. I never saw myself as a firefighter or a police officer or anything like that. My driving force was freedom. You know, I came from um, our family overseas was obviously, if you're an American living in Africa, you're better off than most of the natives uh, financially. But here in the US, we were at the bottom of the totem pole for the most part mm-hmm. and can definitely remember that um mine wasn't an association of violence it was just life is really hard without money and i Mm -hmm. want to make those problems go away you know um and so that was okay well money can make you have more freedom by having the ability to say yes or no i want to make a decision based on yes or no if i want that for my life not on can i afford it that kind of changed it for me and um oh my god i can do all these things i used to tour um but I was touring these cities. I couldn't afford to do anything. Uh, you know, it's just like people, I, I think there's a lot of qu- people question out there. Like, well, what made you take that What made you take on that challenge or what made you embrace that fear? If you were so shy of people, if you were afraid of talking to strangers, like how are you now running a podcast, uh, <laughs> running multiple businesses, telling people, you know, completely changed, obviously. Um, And what made you overcome that fear? Because what they say is entrepreneurs don't have fear, but we all know that we have more fear than everybody else. It's just the fear of being in a cage or something like that that motivates.
0: Yeah, it's a different kind of fear.
1: Okay, so Um, you started there in sales. What was your first leap? What was your first leap into doing something just for yourself?
0: So my first leap was in 2001, was my first real full-time attempt at becoming an entrepreneur. I had barely dabbled in stuff before that, but nothing that amounted to anything, nothing worth talking about. So... At that point in my career, um, I was in the financial services industry. I was 25 years old. I was making a couple hundred grand a year, which, you know, 25 years, this was 20 years ago, I'm actually a little older, than, a little bit more than 20 years ago. So a couple hundred grand a year was a lot of money. Yes. For the same a thing as you're
1: being in, I don't know what part of Canada you're in. Uh, I'm Canadian, by the way. I don't know if you knew we had that in common, but I'm in it's KC not. and a hundred thousand dollars in KC at least even a few years ago, was a lot of money because we're in the Midwest. It's a like small market. So that goes even further. Um, where were you living at the time?
0: So I was living in Langley, British Columbia, which is okay. the uh, the Fraser Valley suburbs of Vancouver. So British Columbia has never been particularly cheap. Its nickname is BC, which is bring cash. Yeah. Um, but at 25, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty fancy house. I had a truck and a car and a boat and dirt bikes. I mean, I to. The uneducated other 25 year olds, I looked like I was smoking rich because I was making a lot of money, but I didn't really like my day to day activities. The things that I had to do to make that money weren't things that brought me joy. The only thing, well, some of them were, but, but the, you know, the never ending grind of prospecting for new business, because back then I didn't know anything about marketing. And of course, I don't think the internet had even been invented back then. Seriously aging myself here. But um that it had
1: been or, invented, it had been invented, just so everybody knows. But um it was it, early stages for sure. It was very, very early stages. So,
0: you know, yeah, the paychecks every two weeks were great, but during the two weeks it was exhausting. And I looked at other people that own businesses. And that had people working for them and i thought i want i want that i want other pe- i want to harness the power of other people's time and energy to put money in my bank account and so i did something that was uh that's really rare i i quit that job mm. i sold my house i literally liquidated everything i had and i thought okay here's a business idea as of today, this idea is my full-time effort. Um, and and I tip my hat to those people who can do the side gig thing and turn a side hustle into a full-time hustle. I couldn't do that. And the reason I couldn't is after eight or nine hours of work each day, there was no energy left um, to go and do the side hustle. Plus, I didn't know what to do as a side hustle. And I wanted to spend time with my friends. I want to spend time with my girlfriend. I want to play with all those toys that I had. So for me, it was, it was, I had to jump in the deep end or just not even bother. So liquidated everything, quit my job and began, uh, what was a long and painful eight year journey to the first time I'd sold a company. And and we can go as far down that or how but hole as you want. Um, but it was, uh, it was not easy.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you it was not easy. Well, I think I, I can just relate to your story a lot. You know, I'm few years you're junior but um very similar origin in that regard like you know where you're starting you're starting with not like not a lot of knowledge around business and scaling we're going to talk about systems and process and all the things you're good at and you know I was raised um to be relational I was raised to talk to people and you know that's what my dad showed me and um he showed me a lot of great things and taught me a lot of great things. Not a lot about business, not a lot about negotiations, not a lot about contracts and bartering and um, you know, those kinds of things. And so that first journey, I think I can relate to that. I'm still on my first journey in a lot of ways um, seven years in. Um, And it's a lot, it's a lot of learning, a lot of growth as a person. Um, Even if you're all in, there's just so many things you have to learn from patience and communication skills you've never had and, um all those things that go into building a team and a in a company that's worth exiting, you know, at that level, that you just you don't just get gifted these things out of, you know, out of birth or out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um the one thing I want to jump on and before I go to the next part is I was one of those side hustle guys. Um but there was a very conscious decision. And I think there's some value in this there's a very conscious decision by me. One, I didn't have a job that was paying me one to 200000 dollars a year and putting anything back. Uh, there were no toys. Um, but so it was like needed it to get it was more like survival to do the side hustle. The side mm-hmm. hustle was to help survive. Um, but I also made a conscious decision. I was making $43,000 a year as a salaried e commerce manager. And I had an offer for 75k at a sports retailer that I loved. Uh, that was, you know, so that's almost 30k plus a year to do the same job, relatively a mm-hmm. huge Almost a double, doubling my salary to go there. But I knew that if I went there, uh, because of who I am, I would go 100% in in my 8 to 10 hours there. And I was going to be proving a system for them that I'm I'm a good e-commerce manager. I can do the job and get everything cleaned up. I knew that I would be exhausted for my side hustle that I was kind of excited about. And so I made a conscious decision, just like you said, you knew you couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't do that. And that's why I stayed with my side hustle versus taking that salary increase and trying to build Marknology at the same time. I knew I wouldn't be able to do both. I had already been at US Toy um, quite a while and had really optimized and systemized and processed my day job there. Um, And so felt like when I went home, I still had energy to give to myself and to my, to my business that I was trying to build. So literally echoing what you said, but from a different perspective in regards to sure, I did the side hustle thing, but I had to make conscious decisions not to get myself in too deep or I wasn't working at a job that was exhausting me, you know, kind of thing. So, okay. So the first business, you didn't tell us what it is. You said it was an eight year grind we're going to talk about even like before we get into flowster, which is, I think probably some of these businesses came out of what you learned in, you know, that first process. um, Was it around e-commerce? Was it in the same space you're at today? No,
0: no. it was in the world of IT. I uh, built and sold what is now commonly referred to as a managed IT service provider. So essentially, and we were a pioneer in the space. Like at the time that we started this business model, uh, there didn't even, there was no industry associations. There was no acronym for it. We just we're fixing people's computers Mm. and I, my, because I was so ignorant as an entrepreneur and, and I didn't even understand what a business model was. I just assumed that if we could get enough, enough companies paying us, you know, 120 bucks an hour to fix their computers. And my cost of labor, you know, was maybe a third of that, that we'd be making tons and tons of money. Now in theory, you could, but in reality, there's a whole lot of problems with that business model which we don't need to get into because it will bore people to tears very very early on as a result of trying to win one specific account with for for a client and we were competing against a much larger company i figured out that there was another way to do this and i just looked at the competitors so we were in this competition and we were going to lose and and i the guy told me he says unfortunately i know you guys are hungry but i can't give you this this deal this was a game changing moment for my company. And that's why I'm going into a little bit of detail. Please do. So we looked at, I, I, luckily I had built really great rapport with the buyer during the the competitive bidding process. And I think he called me like on a Friday to tell me that, you know, we weren't going to get the deal. And I said, look, I get it. Their offer is more compelling for you than ours is, but can you at least wait until Monday and don't award them the deal until Monday. And he said, sure, that's fine. So we studied their website. So basically what their offer was, is they were going to instead like our, I think our, our bid was, we were going to show up for like a half day per week and do some preventative maintenance on their computers. I don't know for 12, 15, 1600 bucks a month. I don't even remember the number, but some, some between one and $2,000 a month. Whereas the competitor Was going to remotely through the internet connect to all of their computers and monitor them 24 hours a day and remotely apply patches and do all this proactive stuff for like less money than we were going to do i had no idea that that was even possible like this i just i was dumb just didn't know any better and so we spent the weekend you know studying the competitor's website we found out that they were using some software i think it was by cisco to do this mm-hmm. remote stuff that we didn't understand. And so late Friday afternoon we called Cisco and we said, "Look, you know, we we want to sign up for the software that allows us to do this, but we're like this tiny little company, we have no money." And I don't it was my co-founder that did this call, so I don't even know how he managed to pull this off, but we ended up getting a discount, a big discount on the software, so we bought it. And then I I I the 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 client Told me what the the competitor's bid was again because I had rapport with him. And so on Monday morning, I called him and I said, Okay, I'm now offering exactly what they're offering and I'm doing it for 25% less. Can I have the deal? And he literally started laughing and he's like, You are one hungry son of a bee. And he says, Props to you. Yeah, I'm going to give you the deal. And that was a game changer because we spent the next, you know, six years just selling more and more of these recurring revenue contracts that generated predictable cash flow for doing all this remote monitoring and management, and then to lower our obviously there was efficiencies there that we didn't get in the traveling around with screwdrivers in our back pocket model, and so we could automate a bunch of stuff using servers, and then we delegated a whole bunch of stuff to server people in India. India. So the the things that I would have this was my first experience with working offshore, and this is like way back in two thousand and three maybe we had people in India that were now patching all the servers and doing all the maintenance. So I didn't have that cost on my balance sheet in us labor or Canadian labor because uh, I was in Canada at the time game changer. And that ultimately, you know, when I sold the company, we had a million dollars a year of re- these recurring revenue contracts. And that's why I was able to sell the company for seven figures, because without that, we were just your typical it break fix shop in my business where have been worth like 0.25 X revenue or some ridiculously low number and uh and that
1: was that was a big big lesson for me is recurring so revenue cool. is everything thanks for sharing that no i think um i think that's very helpful to a lot of people listening um before we go into the next part once again shout out to our sponsor for today's episode fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably talking about outsourcing full scale is a is a fully functional team out of the philippines and cebu city um if you're looking for developers. Any kind of talent in that regard, they are just absolutely top-notch managed talent. Um, One of the ways I got introduced uh, was through FullScale.io and Matt DeCourcy, you know, connecting me with his team in the early days when I couldn't hire full employees and get some stuff done. So big opportunity there. Um, Okay. So I'm definitely someone that brings like, you know, I I can almost pinpoint sometimes when I learned a really big thing that just like Mm -hmm. catapulted me in. I really am. I'm the type of guy that can be like, I remember Moment in that office, and I had that conversation, and you know it changed my career or it changed my thinking. Um, so you exit this business. Um, I think there's. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this home in regards to like Eat Flowster, which I want to get to because I'm so excited about it. But understanding that need for that. Once you understand understand outsourced talent, and that you're not training someone sitting right here, you're not working together, driving over there, and and those kinds of things, and you think that you have to communicate through systems and online and remotely and different schedules and how can you communicate clearly. And, you know, that's really what creating process is is someone that's like, you know, got a one two three four five six seven eight nine ten 10 kind of brain versus a uh, um, one that's jumping all over and you're just helping them systemize that we're, we're, we're working together um, as well, you know, helping Marknology do that even now. So was there a pause? Did you leave that business? Cause you had another idea or was it simply you know an offer came around and you were you were chasing freedom and you said hey i want to see what it feels like you know to to not have to work for a while what was kind of your motivation to get out and what did you jump to next
0: um so the motivation to get out was that was a business that was really hard to grow like after 8 years we were still like doing just just shy of like 2 million bucks after 8 years and at that time so i was getting pretty tired of being by then I mean I learned so much uh during those 8 years about business models and scalability and the importance of gross profit margin and utilization I mean just it was like an MBA and I realized this business model sucks I don't want to do this I'm not passionate about this it just doesn't interest me and I in and around those that same time my co-founder and I were not getting along very well at all and so we had brought in a new COO I had gone to Seattle from Vancouver to open an office in Seattle, and while I was away, the uh, new COO, who had money, who was a total snake in hindsight, he convinced the co-founder to try and force me out of the company, mm. and and they and it nearly worked. But I, uh, with the help of my one investor slash advisor, I call him my rich dad, I'm happy to say that we outfoxed them. Uh, they did end up buying the company, but it was okay. for my price and my terms, and so. I was very, very happy to exit that business. That's when I moved from Seattle down to Southern California because I was like, well, I got all this money now. I'm gonna go retire for a while. I'm gonna ride my dirt bike 12 months out of the year. And then I'm I'm gonna plot what I'm gonna do next. And and I thought that I was gonna become a full-time real estate investor, but in oh nine, uh, as as some people might remember, <laughs> there was yeah. this thing called the Great Recession which had depressed real estate prices immensely. So you think it would be a great opportunity to buy properties. But the the issue was I couldn't get anybody to sell me their property because they all in their minds still thought it was worth what it was worth in like 06 and they didn't want to part with it. So I was a horrible failure at my attempts to be a real estate investor. I've since become a more successful one, but back then it it just wasn't panning out. And that's when I had the, the, what I'll call the third huge, um, Uh, I don't know if I'm going to use the word "aha" moment, but point there was an inflection point in my life, and it was because I met somebody. Um, So the first one was, you know, starting that business. The second one was selling that business. Those were wildly impactful on the direction of my life. The third one is a surfer uh, by the name of uh, Haley, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. And so I'm I'm there, you know, enjoying my mini retirement. I've got no financial worries. I've got money coming in for years. I don't have to work. And I'm just kind of hanging out and I rented a house on the beach and I'm riding my dirt bike and I'm surfing. That was literally everything that I had to do. So that was a very no stress point in my life. And I was 38.
1: Wait, okay. 38.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I'm surfing every morning and, and I kind of, I'm single at the time. And I'm, I'm, I see this girl and I'm chatting with her day after day. And I've kind of, you know, I kind of was interested in her to be honest with you. And, but each day I noticed that as everybody left for work, she didn't leave. And so one day I said, I'm like, Haley, like, why don't you don't like, don't you have a job? And she goes, no, I have my own business. And I'm like, well, what kind of business you got? She goes, I'm an affiliate marketer. And I go, I don't really know what that is. And so she explained it to me. And I said, do you make any money doing that? she goes, "Uh, not a huge amount, but she goes, I make about 200 grand a year. And I said, come again? I said, how many hours a week you work? And she goes, I work about an hour a day. And I'm like, okay, you're going to teach me everything you know about that because I've been retired now for six or eight months, and I really like this relaxed schedule of being retired. And so I want to figure out how to do what you're doing. And that was when I first became aware of the whole idea of how to make money on the internet. And since then, I have obviously been infatuated with that idea because I love the freedom of being able to earn and sell my stuff to people all around the world, which I have now done, from a room in my house was pretty phenomenal. And so that was, uh, that's what put me on the journey, the beginning of the journey that has taken me to where I am today.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, uh, there's so much value in that, um, those light bulb moments, you know, the direction, um, I can relate to that, you know, affiliate marketing is now influencer marketing. It's still, I mean, it's still affiliate marketing has just evolved and has more branches and, um, I remember that pivot i remember that shift i remember commission junction and link share and how big all that was with the bloggers when because they oh, were yeah. first everything was coming out you know it's still it's still happening that way even today where you know there's a new release a new technology um clubhouse or like you know and i can just remember kind of when those things first came up myspace or facebook being infatuated as well I'd be like okay is this going to change change the world and it has, yeah. you know um let's talk about flowster so you know, I know I've, I've alluded to the fact that you, you have, a you're selling through is an agency or like an Amazon wholesale model or an Amazon store model. What do you refer to it as?
0: I call it an Amazon, uh, hybrid agency because okay. essentially we're doing marketing services like you would do as a marketing agency. The difference is that, uh, instead of sending them an invoice, for hours worked or for the monthly retainer or what have you, we send them checks and we make our money by buying product and reselling that product on Amazon. And there's pros and cons to the model. But what I, one of the things that I like about it, first of all, it grew really fast. I've got two ink 5,000 plaques on the wall behind me. They were as a result of that business. And the, the cool thing about that model is when you're sending a supplier checks they just happily cash them. They don't think about, hmm, I wonder how much money Trent's making. They just like, well, oh, Trent has sent us another 30 grand. Trent sent us another 50 grand. Sweet. Send them the product. Whereas if you're a typical marketing agency, when they get your monthly retainer bill, they're always going to say, what has Prove he done it. for me lately? Is Prove this still it. worth it? Mm-hmm. Are we getting an ROI on this? And so we have accounts that we've had for years where we, yeah, we had to do a lot of heavy lifting in the beginning, but now that we've got everything optimized and tuned, um, uh, those accounts are just gravy trains of cash because there's not a whole bunch of ongoing work, but yet we're still getting a decent sales volume and we still make a fixed rate of return on the product. So it's, I don't think it's the best business in the world. uh, But as a way to start out, it's a great business. Uh, And if you don't have the money to buy the inventory, you could alternatively just for a fee, you know, manage their, their out their Amazon account for a percentage of sales or whatever you're able to negotiate with them so it was the success of that which um led to another single day literally an hour there was a one hour period of time that radically changed my life and caused me to become the founder of a software company and that moment was about a year into that business um I was given an opportunity to be on a stage and explain to the audience, which was about 500 other people running a similar business, probably not as successful as mine, how I'd written all these SOPs and how I'd hired all these people in the Philippines, which I'd been doing for years because I had a successful blog and podcast. And so I was using the VA labor for a long, long time. And at the end of that talk, um, because I had no flow. I didn't have a flowster. I didn't have a product or anything. I just said, Hey guys, I'm just going to, this is a free brain dump. I'm going to teach you how to do this. I got mobbed, literally mobbed Andrew by people who said, loved what you set up on stage. I need those SOPs in my Amazon business too, but I don't know how to create them. I don't have the time to create them. Any chance you would consider selling me a copy of yours. And when enough people kept asking me that I was like, well, I guess there's maybe a thing here. So myself and the conference organizer said, look, I've got the intellectual property. You've got the audience. Let's do an affiliate deal and let's see if this thing sells. And boy, oh boy, did it ever sell. The first launch, we did $412,000 in sales in five days. And I was speechless. I remember that week, we made $100,000 in one day on the last day of the launch. And I, I had never made that kind of money before, not in that short a period of time. And I just didn't know what the hell was going on. All I knew is i had to figure out how to do that again and again and again and again. And so we did. And ultimately, that's how Flowster got, was born. Because after that first launch, I called a good buddy who's a, who's a software guy who had sold a software company. And I said, look, man, we need to build a software company. He's like, yeah, really? What, what for? What's it going to do? And I said, well, here, let me just tell you what just happened and how much we sold. And he was on board. He was like, Wow. If you can sell $400,000 worth of that with, you know, no testimonials, no social proof, no nothing. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm convinced that there's a need here. And so we started building Floster in, uh, 2017. Selling it off brand,
1: your personal brand, uh, which, you know, if you follow Gary V or anything relevant today, NFTs that are dropping or built off personal brand, um, you already had that for different reasons and was primed. I think that's fantastic. Um it's oftentimes that you're solving a problem in your own business or something that you need that actually like is the best business idea. Um, you know, when you're solving something, um, for you and, and just give that as value and it's crazy what that value can turn into, into like, you know, it's flowster, which we were trying, I was, I was leading us up to get to here because, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, our title for today's episode is is how to create scalable systems, which is what Flowster does in a lot of ways um, and helps people do and accomplish. Um, but you don't just start there. A lot of people don't just start there. Let me build all all the processes and SOPs for 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 an Amazon business or for an Airbnb business or for a a real estate business sales team or you know whatever the case might be that you're you're relying on help and wanting to build out processes. You don't just arrive there. And so, what is that evolution to get there? Um, you know, what'd you learn along the way? And then, you know, the opportunity to, okay, you know, as a surfer girl, or as a surfer yeah. girl, um, at the time that really kind of created that like that introduction to you to something that you didn't know. And um as someone else that's built, you know, my business around people's need for services on Amazon. I've um, building my own brands and things like that. I think Uh, it's just a reflection of of what the the need is out there for Amazon services and help. And SOPs, Hey, there's so much demand for this. So many brands that need help. So many brands are trying to build their teams internally and systemize and process things and get organized, um, you know, to navigate business in 2021, 2022 and beyond. And, um, that's exactly what Flowster does. I want to give us, like, as we wrap up here, because I know about Flowster, but for anybody listening, I want to kind of dig into what Flowster does. We talked about it being SOPs for an Amazon business, and um, but we talked about some of the things you're working on before the show started. Uh, I would love to chat about some of those. You talked about an extension, you know, coming mm-hmm. out for Flowster, but let's just give a kind of 101 to anyone listening and tuning in here that might be an Amazon seller, that might be an Amazon, that might be an agency or that not even Amazon related, um, you know, could have a, could have a use for Flowster. Um, how can this help them? What was it? What did you create it around? Um, and how are people engaging with it right now? So the first, so Flowster is for far more than Amazon sellers. First of all, Um, first of all, that's where I'm coming from because I'm using it for Amazon, but yes. So, so that people
0: understand Flowster is process management software. Now, many people are familiar with the term project management software. So let me first explain the difference between the two. A project is a thing you're going to do for a client, but you're probably not going to repeat it 75 times. The next time you do it, it could be different. So projects are different each time you do them. Whereas a process, you know, all the steps in advance, like producing a podcast episode, for example for you, for me, it's the same in me, it's like a 117 steps or whatever our checklist is, it's the same 117 steps over and over and over and over. And we tweak it and we adjust it from time to time. But for the most part, it's the same people doing the same stuff on the same timeline over and over and over. So Proc- flowster is process management software. So you can come into flowster and you can either build your own processes, or if you're a digital marketing agency, uh, which is our target market for the time being, we provide our customers with a extensive library. It's an ever expanding library of pre-made process templates and playbooks. And all a playbook is, is just a whole bunch of templates, you know, bundled up together around a specific topic. So right now we've, we're working on, we're working with 30 agencies on our next major playbook. It's, it doesn't even have a name yet. It's just internally called the Agency Accelerator. And just think about in a perfect world, if you had a process for everything to do with running your agency from attract, convert, fulfill KPIs, manage, and you had processes for all of that stuff, wouldn't it be easier to delegate work to other people so that you could scale faster? The answer obviously is yes. So the big problem that flowster solves for agency owners or for anybody that wants to use the platform and and build their own processes is that. It allows you to document your processes pretty easily, um, or grab pre, pre-documented templates, and then immediately start assigning work to your team, which is commonly employees, but also virtual assistants and remote workers. Now for people who run small businesses, being able to tap into that low cost labor pool is a game changer. Like for example, in Floster, we just hired, our last hire was a full-time project manager. This person has a graduate degree. They live in the Philippines. They worked their last job was for a multinational corporation. so they've seen how big companies manage projects and if they was if they were in the US, that person's probably 150 to 200 grand a year, whereas I think we're paying them like 25,000 a year, not even actually about 20 grand a year because the cost of living in the Philippines is exponentially less than the cost of living in the US this person speaks and writes perfect English. Um, they're every bit as talented as who we would hire over here. And so it's a huge asset to be able to hire people like that. But the key, especially at the, at the lower end of the pay scale, when people maybe don't have them as much experience as what I just described, you've got to have your processes dialed in. If you're going to have success with building a remote team to get, all that repetitive kind of boring stuff off and time consuming, but important stuff off of your plate. And that is the primary objective of Flowster is to make that easier so that you have an easier time of scaling up your business, generating more revenue, um, managing your team and, and just, you know, growing and becoming more successful without becoming a slave to your business and having to work 24 hours a day because a lot of founders that's what happens they start off as the solo marketing consultant they get one client or two clients it's all manageable they get good at what they do they get more referrals they get more clients and suddenly they can't remember everything in their head anymore they can't do all the work themselves anymore and so they've, they've hit the glass ceiling. They've now become the bottleneck of their own business. And the only way past that is to not work more hours. That's the worst solution because there's only so many hours. The way past that, Andrew, is to figure out how do you can stop working in your business and start working on your business, which is what Michael Gerber wrote about in his book, The E-Myth, so many years ago. And I read that book many, many years ago, and it had a profound impact on my thinking.
1: Slow is smooth and smooth is fast simple simple saying but i think it's so true you know you slow down enough to get sops or to optimize your business or process it or systemize it um you know we're going through that right now um one of those better late than nevers and you know we've had kind of clunky sops and clunky like systems and ways of doing things but just trying to take it to the next level um when we really look at what We need to do internally that's that's a big part of marknology and you know we're very successful already and still there's so much upside and so many ways to improve Mm -hmm. and and one of the big ones is um you know how organized are you how systemized and how processes are how systemized are your processes um just incredible value and you know to anyone listening that's trying to where do i get started with you know outsourcing okay so i know that there's outsourcing where do i get started how do i well you if you don't have the processes in place, you start with the flowster first and you kind of, you get your processes down that you want that help with, and then you go and you can find your help and plug them in. Um, I know for us, we're really thinking about it as a way of speeding up our onboarding and speeding up our training and, um, you know, being able to to run people through systems, that maybe we were doing in word docs or Excel sheets or things like that before. So, um, super, super, super cool. We're running up on the hour. Um, and I want to just leave us with like, I want you to leave something with, um, you know, our listeners here today, uh, you know, what's something that you're excited about with Flowster? Uh, well, one, for a lot of our listeners, I think Flowster itself is exciting to them because they haven't heard about the existing features, much less any new, anything new. But something that you're per- especially, I think you got something in a week I want you to share that's coming out in about a week. Um, and then just anything in, in for any entrepreneurs that are just tuning in today, we're closing out the holidays for a lot of people. This has been an exhausting Q4, um, you know, we're on Friday of this week and next week is, is actual Christmas. I think if I'm right, uh, days fly together. Um, you know, what's something you would, you would leave just an encouraging, um, you know, word with any founders out there that are closing up the year. So the two things that I'm most excited about
0: with Flowster are one our powered by Flowster functionality and then our Chrome extension And so essentially what, you you know, many people have websites and they're trying to build an email list. And so they'll, they'll offer, you know, a, a PDF lead magnet in exchange for an email address. And that's been going on for like 15, 20 years. There's nothing too terribly exciting about it. Some people might use a video as a lead magnet or maybe a mini course of some kind, but there is an increasing appetite. People love checklists. They love them. And they love them because you can learn and do at the same time, as opposed to, you know, sitting here and watching a video or reading a PDF and then figuring out what to do. So powered by Flowster is going to allow anyone to basically go into Flowster, create a checklist, and then embed that checklist on a page on their WordPress or whatever HTML website, and then use that checklist as a lead magnet. So great for them also great for Flowster because that means we could now be on 10,000, 100,000, a million different websites with our logo and a little powered by Flowster button. And Love that. Love that. Great so, idea. Pretty stoked about that. That's that's a week away from being released. Then the other thing that we are probably three months away from getting done is our Chrome extension. So I mentioned earlier how we have this template library and we're continually expanding that library with more templates. But it really doesn't matter how many templates we put in there. There are always going to be people who want to create their own custom processes. And doing that in Flowster now is totally possible. We've got a great interface and so forth, but we want to make it faster and less painful. So with this Chrome extension, you'll basically be able to install it in Chrome, hit the record button, and then just click your way through doing the thing that you want to create a process for. And every time you click the button, Uh, The extension will be taking a screenshot and and so forth and literally building your SOP template on the fly while you're doing the thing. So now you'll be able to create custom templates in a fraction of the time of doing it the quote unquote traditional way. And I think that that is also going to be a game changer for us. So those are the two things that I'm
1: really really excited to see. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And just a final word for any of our listeners today, as they close out, you know, Q4, um, you know, planning for next year, whatever you feel like sharing.
0: Um, I would say that again, you know, kind of drinking my own Kool Aid. We, I've become, and I wasn't, I didn't used to be good at this. We are now really uh, obsessive about planning our big rocks for the coming quarter, and then making sure in our project management software that we have timelines and resources and everything figured out before the quarter even begins. So for me, I will have, and, and there's three kind of senior people on the management team at Flowster right now, and each one of us will have no more than two big rocks for the quarter. And those are the, if we can fulfill on, on both of our big rocks, so that's six big rocks in one quarter, all well planned in advance, you know, we're gonna have an amazing quarter. So my yeah. advice to other people is if you haven't yet gotten really good at proactively planning and str- and using strategy, and you're because and I'm guilty I used to be guilty of this because you're so busy being busy. I promise you you're not being as effective. You're gonna be busy either way, but you're not going to be as effective as you could otherwise be if you allocated time at the end of every quarter. making sure that you really plan the heck out of your next quarter and then really stick with that plan now things are going to happen and you might get thrown off course for this that or the other reason whatever but still um make the plan and then work the plan and so now with a week to go in the final quarter of the year this is a great time to take that otherwise what might be downtime, read some books listen to some podcasts get some ideas in your head and come up with your plan for the quarter get it in writing make sure your team's on board and then execute, execute, execute every single week, week after week after week using the sprint methodology.
1: Awesome, what a way to close out the show. Trent, thank you so much for your time uh, and being on the show. I can't wait to see um, everything that happens with Flowster, but as well just stay connected and and watch the journey. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in today's show and thanks again to our sponsor, FullScale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. We'll see you next time.